0: Hello, welcome back to Luxai, a podcast to reignite your wonder by exploring the science of luxury items. This week we're moving away from paint as an art medium and into dirt, or more specifically, clay. Clay is a humble material and yet it is turned into beautiful art by potters and ceramic artists. Now I will admit to not knowing much about the world of ceramic art. I think my co-host, Dr. Demos, knows a little bit more about ceramics in general.
1: In engineering.
0: Yeah, he yeah. was just he was just telling me that he designed a ceramic.
1: I did. I designed a zirconia doped alumina for a power electronics device, which we can talk about later.
0: Okay. Um, and I have to. I don't know about you, Demos, but uh, ceramics are not an art form that I usually gravitate toward.
1: So you're not a fan of pottery?
0: Not usually. I think well, pottery and ceramics are different. We'll get into that.
1: Yeah, true, true. And and I know you've got an interesting side note about stoneware.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, but I do really like kintsugi. The I'm sure I'm not I'm sure I'm not pronouncing that correctly. But kintsugi is the Japanese art of repairing broken pottery with precious metals. So you can see the cracks in it and i really like that oh cool yeah you take something broken and you upcycle it to use the modern term but you don't try to make it like new you acknowledge that it had a previous life and that it's broken but it's repaired i like that it's really beautiful too so many analogs
1: you can take from that
0: yes exactly so do you know where the word ceramics comes from
1: Well, I would imagine it's Greek.
0: It is. Yes. (laughs) Kiramikos, which means of or belonging to pottery. Mm -hmm. And there's a Kiramikos neighborhood here in Athens, which I'm assuming used to be a big pottery workshop or an area where there was a lot of pottery workshops.
1: Yeah, Definitely.
0: So ceramics are mixed substances such as clay with silica and heating them at high temperatures. And the main difference between pottery and ceramics is that not all ceramics are made out of clay. You can use many forms. And pottery specifically is clay that has been made into a container of some kind, a pot, Mm -hmm. pottery. So pottery is very specific. Ceramics is a more broad, general term. So ceramics have been used for tens of thousands of years. The first earthenware figure dated to about 30,000 years ago and the first pottery vessel to around 18,000 years ago. And the ancient Egyptians perfected glazing of the pots around 7,000 years ago and the Chinese improved the firing process to produce more highly decorated ceramics. I think you were telling me the other day you just read something about the Chinese kilns.
1: Oh, yes, that um, in order to uh, achieve the capability to vitrify something.
0: We'll get into what that is.
1: Yes. um, The Chinese had these hillsides that had cascading fires and the exhaust from one fire would go in and feed the next fire pit up the next side of the hill. So I guess there were these sort of igloo shaped fire pits that kept captured the heat but also ducted the heat, And so by the time you got to the top of the hill to the last fire, the heat was so intense that whatever pottery you were firing would actually turn into glass.
0: Well, okay. So again, once again, totally have stolen my thunder.
1: Oh, no. Sorry.
0: <laughs> but anyway, um, there are different types of ceramics. The first one is called earthenware, and this is a glazed or unglazed non-vitreous pottery. And that means that it's porous. So if you don't glaze earthenware, then it won't hold water very well or any other Mm -hmm. liquid. So interestingly enough, this is one of my favorite stories being in Greece. Retsina is a very specific type of Greek white wine that has a very particular flavor. And the reason is that amphorae, the big clay pots that they used to use were non-vitreous pots, which means that the wine would get absorbed into the clay yeah. and so to prevent that happening um, merchants would line the inside of the pots with pine resin but that would add a very piney flavor to the wine and Retsina is still made today um, with that piney resin kind of flavor to it and I just thought it was a really cool story I like Retsina. most people don't I don't think yeah we they... should
1: we should get a glass lit at some point but there's a secondary benefit to the pine resin that they didn't realize
0: antibacterial exactly yeah
1: yeah so, so you can store only, it longer you could store it longer and you could store it for a very long time in fact yeah. and the, because of the amount of pine resin they yes. used
0: <laughs> that's quite you a bit. got
1: a very long shelf life out of that one
0: but if they had just fired those m4a for a little bit longer they probably wouldn't have had to do that Because vitrification is the partial fusion of the clay as a result of the firing process and is a full or partial transformation of a substance into glass. So it's breaking down the crystalline structure of the clay and making it into this non-crystalline amorphous solid. So it's usually accomplished by heating the material until it's liquid and then cooled rapidly. Um, But in this case, it's the, the firing process and the temperature that you fire your clay at that will determine if it vitrifies or not. I'm sure we'll talk more about vitrification when we do glass blowing.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We'll see you got some of your thunder back.
0: So, earthenware is normally fired below 1200 degrees Celsius or 2190 degrees Fahrenheit. It's otherwise known as terracotta and it absorbs liquid but can be glazed to stop that. And it's uh, easier to shape with something like a potter's wheel. Now, stoneware is pottery fired at a relatively high temperature. And it's fired between 1,100 and 1,300 degrees Celsius. And it was developed sometime after earthenware, but before porcelain, sort of in the history of ceramics. And uh, sometimes, like the Chinese count it as porcelain, and it's vitreous or semi-vitreous. Now, porcelain is vitreous pottery. So this is fired between... Um, 1200 and 1400 degrees Celsius that's 2200 or 2600 degrees Fahrenheit. And because of the vitrification process it actually takes on a great more a great deal more strength and actually translucency. Yes And because it is stronger you can make it thinner.
1: There's one other thing about uh, porcelain that mm. is not the case with stoneware mm. or earthenware is when you tap it. It tinks. Yeah, it makes a resonant tink, 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 tink. sound the way
0: glass might. Yes, which is why you can clink your teacup. Yeah. And and a particular type of porcelain is called bone china. And that actually has bone ash in it, along with the clay. And it contains a minimum of 30% phosphate derived from animal bone, and it's the strongest of the porcelains. And it's vitrified but very translucent due to its mineral properties and was considered the height of luxury at one point. Having a set of bone china had meant that you had made it in the world.
1: (laughs) One of the things that I learned was bone china was a little softer than true porcelain. Mm. That's fired at a higher temperature Mm. because of... The phosphorus and calcium in that in that mix. Yeah. In fact, bone china can be easily shaped with a file.
0: Oh, interesting. But you
1: cannot do that with um, fully fired porcelain; it, w- it would break.
0: Yeah, I think it's so interesting that the temperature and the mineral content determine a lot, so much of the properties of the um, ceramic. And I think, and that's true. In my research, I I didn't put it in the podcast notes, but most of the research around ceramics in the medical literature is dental implants. Oh, wow! And you you can go do this absolute rabbit hole dive into the world of dental ceramics and all of the different materials and material properties and how to mix them together to make the most, you know, durable but also comfortable and color, you know color-matched oh, yeah. dental implant. Yeah. So it's really fascinating. And,
1: and it is really easy to uh, adjust impurities in yes. ceramics for color matching yeah. and, and do a pretty good job of that.
0: But you you know, Demos, I was actually wondering what clay is. Do you know what clay is?
1: Well, I would assume clay is probably a combination of, of sand as well as organic some organic matter. I know in um, North Carolina, most of our soil is clay. hmm and it's red. And the reason for that is we have a lot of iron content mm-hmm. in, in our soil.
0: Well, I found this really amazing article online from the Royal Society of Chemistry written by Stephen Brewer in 2012. And clay is feldspar minerals. And feldspar minerals make up 60% of the Earth's crust. They are aluminum silicates no. that also contain alkali or alkaline Earth metals. So they are formed by aluminum tectosilicates that also contain sodium, calcium, potassium, or barium. So it's a silicon ions, and they're linked by shared oxygen ions to form a three-dimensional network. So the aluminum or the silicon silica ion are surrounded by four oxygens, and each oxygen ion is also shared by a neighboring tetrahedron to form a 3D network. Oh, cool. Yes. And they crystallize from magma and they are found in metamorphic and sedimentary rocks. Now that's the rock, feldspar is a rock. The clay is formed from chemical weathering of these feldspar mineral rocks.
1: Okay. So it's basically broke down feldspar.
0: Yeah. So low concentrations of carbonic acid from rainwater or plant roots breaks the bonds between the aluminum and the oxygen and releases the other metal ions and silica. The clay formed depends on the composition of the source rock and the climate. And kaolinite is one important mineral in clay, which contains one-to-one silicon to aluminum oxides. And they're arranged in plate-like particles and stacked layers linked by hydrogen bonds.
1: Now, aluminum oxide is very (laughs) popular as a ceramic. Yes. And we call it alumina. And it is a very hard ceramic Mm -hmm. and used as electrical insulators i don't know if it's used for plateware it's probably a little more expensive to use yeah probably not but um definitely used as a base material in a lot of electronics especially electric vehicles
0: cool so how what happens when you make a pot a clay pot for example scientifically um so the first thing you do is you take some clay and you add a little bit of water like, yeah, yeah, But not too much water, no, because then yeah. it won't come together. Yes, yes. And you shape the plot the pot. This is the result, this malleability of the clay is the result of the layers being separated by a thin layer of water molecules that are linked to neighboring layers via hydrogen bonds. So it's kind of layer of clay, layer of water, layer of clay kind of situation. Clay sandwich, if you will. This is what is called a weak force; these hydrogen bonds. That means the oh, bonds wow. can flex when force is applied, so you can shape the clay. But they're strong enough to stand on their own when you take your hands off of the clay.
1: I gotta tell you, I never thought about that. Is why clay retains a partial shape while you're while yeah. you're using, let's say, a potter's wheel. So
0: interestingly, as the clay dries, the water molecules escape from in between the clay sh- sheets, and the clay actually shrinks a bit. Mm. So as it dries, it'll shrink up to five percent. The components of the clay become bonded to each other, so instead of being bonded by the water, and so it becomes a bit stronger. At this point, you can dissolve that shape again. Like you can add more water and reform the clay and make something else until it's heated. Once you start heating the clay, you're sort of at a point of no return. Oh. So after the temperature reaches about 500 degrees Celsius, the changes to the pot become irreversible. The clay is fragile and crumbly, but it can't be reconstituted into workable clay. because Chemically, what is happening is that more of the the bound water is being removed and the weak hydrogen bonds are being replaced by stronger and shorter oxygen bridges in the clay.
1: It's oxidizing, but the the oxides are also bringing strength.
0: The regular sheet-like crystal structure of the kalanonite... That we talked about, the clay is being lost and a more amorphous meadow calinite is being formed. If you heat the pot further to a thousand degrees Celsius, you produce what's called biscuit ware, which is strong but porous. If you'd like stoneware or porcelain pot, you can increase the temperature so that the vitrification process starts, melting some of the components of the clay to act as glue. Uh, So metal transforms into mullite that forms needle-like crystals, and the feldspar melts into glass, and that fuses and holds the structure better. At these temperatures, stoneware temperatures, all the water in the clay is gone. You can visualize this by taking an earthenware cup and a stoneware cup and microwaving water in them. The handle of the earthenware cup will be hot, as well as the water, but the handle of the stoneware cup will not. Do you know why?
1: Well... You explained well, I told it to you me. yesterday. Yes, you, and, and <laughs> I'll tell you what I originally thought. I thought it was because there was iron in the earthenware. Mm-hmm. And because of the high iron content, the, or the iron atoms were vibrating with the microwave energy and heating mm-hmm. up. Yes. But you had a better answer, actually.
0: Yeah. So what's happening is, remember, with earthenware, you stop the heating process before you get to vitrification so there's actually still water left in the earthenware so there's water left in that handle and the microwave excites the water molecules and they start vibrating and releasing heat in the handle not just in the water that's in the cup stoneware has no water left in it and so it's not going to do that and so It's a good way to uh, do a little test to see what kind of pottery mugs you might have.
1: Nothing is more annoying to me than that that one coffee (laughs) cup you have where the handle gets hot in the microwave. Like, I've hurt myself. No,
0: I know. We all have. So we've made the pot. We've fired the pot. And now, if you would like, there's an additional step to glaze the pot. So glazing makes earthenware ceramics non-absorbent. And it also adds a bit of decoration, right? Yep we could do an entire episode on glazing because there are so many things to consider when you're making a glaze. There are a lot, there's three different components. You have to think about the mix and the color and the fire is going to do something different to the color. It's very interesting. Short version is that glazing, do you know what glazing is by the way?
1: Well, um, as, as I remember, it was before we, I think we would fire, so I, I took ceramics as a kid, yeah. and so I remember firing a pot yeah. and then coating it with a specific chemical, and I don't know much about what that chemical was. So you're was. actually
0: coating it with a thin layer of glass. Really? Yeah. So glazes have uh, three components. One is a silicon dioxide. Okay. Another is aluminum oxide. It's some sort of binder. To enhance... The aluminum oxide enhances the viscosity. It crosslinks the silica networks. Okay. And then fluxes, or earth metal oxides, to lower the melting point of the mixture to the temperature of the firing, right? Because otherwise... You'd have to go way hotter. But I
1: I still remember just painting the glaze on.
0: Well, yes, exactly. But it's a very thin coating. It's silica. So it's a very thin, and the silica melts. So you're essentially glazing it, glassing it. Okay. In addition to the silicon dioxide, the aluminum oxide, and the fluxes, the earth metals, you have transition metals to provide the color. Uh, the most common are iron, copper, and cobalt. Iron is the most versatile. Depending on what else you mix it with, temperature that you fire it, it can give red, yellow, brown, blue, and green.
1: Yes, that's right. various
0: shades of those.
1: I was reading where with Chinese porcelain, the underglaze color was typically cobalt blue. Because mm. it was the only transition metal that was easily accessible yeah. that also could withstand the high temperatures Mm. of the
0: firing like i said there's a whole science of mixing the glazes to get the colors that you want there's also ways you can crack glazes to make different finishes it's really fascinating but i think i'm going to pause there because that was a lot of chemical processes (laughs) but i will say i found um so an interesting article that they're doing research to create virtual reality pottery experiences
1: Okay, so like...
0: It's like being able to throw a pot in the virtual space.
1: Okay. I mean, frankly, if you had a potter's wheel, you could theoretically do it robotically if you had some sort of force feedback glove or
0: something. No, this is more of the like Oculus VR situation.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, you would wear the glass. You would wear the Oculus glasses or whatever. And then your fingers would have a force feedback on the glove. So you'd put your hand in the glove.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you
1: actually be throwing a real pot.
0: Well, no, no, no. This is not. No, this is completely virtual. This is in the metaverse, Dimas. Okay. This isn't like to throw a pot in real life. This is like just in the metaverse.
1: Well, I still think there should be force feedback anyway.
0: Okay. Well, <laughs> there you
1: go. <laughs> okay. So as far as um, the engineering uses, we touched on electric vehicles, which is an area of particular interest for me. We see ceramics used in electric vehicles and in electronics, especially in uh, r- radio frequency and hybrid microelectronics,
0: mm-hmm.
1: partly because not only can you create a ceramic, a thin ceramic plate that can handle very high temperatures and do it without um, adjusting its, its geometric shape, but you can also benefit from high thermal conductivity. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to use something like alumina, which we mentioned, which has the lowest thermal conductivity but still is usable, still workable for electronics. You can also use aluminum nitride, which now has something like four times as much thermal conductivity as alumina. Uh-huh. Furthermore, there are other things that we can do, like doping, where we add titanium or zirconium mm. to an aluminum oxide And to an alumina Mm -hmm. and improve the characteristics under temperature cycling. When you create an electronic assembly, one of the things you can do is bond copper Mm -hmm. to the ceramic. Mm -hmm. And the bond is so strong of the metal to the ceramic that the ceramic will shrink and expand with Mm -hmm. heat. Whereas the copper might shrink and expand more with heat, and before the ceramic disconnects from the copper, the ceramic itself will fail. Oh wow! So, the other thing that you'll what happens see, when
0: the ceramic fails? So,
1: when a ceramics can fail in a certain way, in a number of different ways. One, they can uh, they can have take on sort of a, a grain boundary of the, They can have a grain of their own, and they can fail through the grain. So we call that so, spalling.
0: So, do they like crack?
1: So you can crack in half, okay. but it's not very common to see cracking in half. Mm. Instead, what you see is spalling where thin layers can be shaved off the top of a ceramic. Oh. Yeah. And, you know, there's another place where we see spalling sometimes occurring. That's in concrete.
0: Yeah. So I don't
1: know if you've ever noticed like a pothole on a concrete roadway. Yeah. Where it'll yeah. be like someone took a little spoon and scooped out a little <laughs> bit of concrete. Yeah. That's an, ex- that's an example of spalling. And the failure mode is where the concrete has taken on sort of the same mechanical characteristics as ceramic. Mm. And it also fails in a lot of the same ways. And you'll see the failure as bits and pieces coming off and not a full crack down the middle. Yes, ceramic cracks down the middle, but it doesn't like to Mm. as much as it likes to crack instead Mm. of through the middle. Along along the entire um, along the mm-hmm. entire width, right. so there's a lot of ways that ceramic. But because of that, we like using ceramics because of that strength and that that interesting way. That so it,
0: where that are distress. they used in electric vehicles?
1: So in electric vehicles, what we do is we put the power uh, transistors that handle all the power that goes from the battery to the motor. Mm-hmm. We solder those onto the ceramic substrate. Mm-hmm with some metal and what we do is we pattern the metal so that we have power going in from the battery then the patterns are cut so that we have little strips of copper or sintered uh silver nanoparticles if you will for ultra high temperature uh, electric vehicle converters Um, and those bits and pieces then of of silver take the power then from the silicon that is being switched on and off very quickly to control the flow of power into the motor, uh, to the motor itself. So all of that patterning and all of that placement of those silicon devices, where all the magic occurs in a motor drive, is done on the um, ceramic substrate.
0: And that's to what? I mean, what what benefit is a ceramic substrate? Providing? Well, a ceramic
1: substrate provides two benefits. It allows. The ability to pattern the current flow Mm -hmm. from the battery to the motor. Mm -hmm. These days, if you buy a Hyundai Ionic or a Kia EV6, you're talking about an 800-volt battery pack. The only thing that can handle that voltage and survive is ceramic. Ceramic provides an amazing isolation barrier to high voltage and a safe one. And because of the way ceramic breaks, which we talked Mm -hmm. about, a spalling failure means you maintain insulation capability even if you have a massive destruction
0: so of either, your inverter. Okay, so that's a way to that's a way to protect the car, other car components. From yeah, and all that electricity. Yes. Yeah, and, and the driver. <laughs> and
1: and if you're in a crash, it also protects the emergency people. Okay. So there's and so what we do is we see ceramics in the feed-throughs. We see ceramics like that used place where uh, high voltage touches or could potentially touch metal mm-hmm. there's going to be a ceramic
0: so were ceramics used even at the advent of radios and yes. you know, high voltage electricity wires and things like that like are, are, are the development of ceramics sort of in phase with the with development electronics. Of electronics like
1: the early earliest days of laden jars and physics experiments that involved creating uh, voltage and storing it Mm -hmm. required highly insulating compounds. And so the ancient Greeks would do these fun experiments with balls of amber and Mm. wood. Mm -hmm. And wood provided the insulating medium. Mm -hmm. And that was good for for dry climates like we have in (laughs) Greece. Yes. (laughs) However, as we proceeded to the next level, we saw that ceramics were much better, especially in the wet climates. You could create a dry chamber for your experimentation. Mm -hmm. Uh, But glass really started that whole thing, partly Mm -hmm. because the glass would... Like, for example, there's a famous experiment of a vein that opens up. It's basically a sandwich of aluminum foil. Mm -hmm. And when you hit a charged comb Mm -hmm. that you combed your shaggy dog with and you touch the comb onto the aluminum foil, aluminum foil would separate. Mm -hmm. And it would show that the charged particles repelled each other. Mm -hmm. That famous experiment is done with basically a um, ball jar that Mm -hmm. you could buy from the supermarket right now that you use for preserving strawberries. And... That is something you can do as a kid science class. Mm-hmm. As we progressed, though, it was clear that you couldn't just use glass everywhere, mm-hmm. and ceramics end up being a much less expensive way to get that performance and more strength.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely stronger than the yeah. glass.
1: Yeah, and so with radio, with the advent of radio, now the old—I um, love collecting these—but those old uh, insulators for yes. telegraph lines. Yes. Yeah. So your telegraph lines would be strung along wooden poles, but you wouldn't run your wire on the wood. Right. You would run the wire because on the wet days the wood would become conductive, yeah. and then you got. But there is a place where you would screw in on the wood, like uh, this this glass topper, mm-hmm. and the glass would be the insulator. Right. And so to this day, there's still places where you can find a lot of these, yeah, the you know, 1800s era glass insulators. I've noticed that they still
0: use a lot of glass insulators here in Greece for the high voltage lines.
1: So ceramics and glass for like ultra high voltage insulators, you'll see that. I think the reason glass is used is it's, instantly a vitrified surface yes and remember you don't want any humidity in that in that interface between that power line and your steel (laughs) tower because you're just going to start conducting it's easy to do that with either a vitrified Mm -hmm. ceramic or with glass in those cases you don't really need the strength right uh, you've got like um, an inner bolting or inner screw network that will mm-hmm. hold the glass together. Mm-hmm. And that's where the strength comes from. So you're not asking the glass to be strong, and then you can use glass right. just as okay.
0: well. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah,
1: that's all I have for electronic uses at this point. I think it was a complete picture of ceramics.
0: Yeah. So I have, of course, some glossary words. Okay. So vitrification
1: vitrification is the conversion of a material from a uh, powder to a glass glazing mm-hmm. okay well you just taught me glazing and and that was the um the combination of a pre of a glass mixture coating onto yeah just pre- cl-
0: clothing something coating, with
1: glass. coating something with glass
0: <laughs> don't make it harder than it needs to be okay yeah Do you remember what chemical weathering was
1: uh, that's oh yes, that's right. We we're talking about feldspar breaking down into soil.
0: Yeah, but the chemical weathering is a process. Is carbonic corrosion? Acid. Well, not just carbonic acid, but it's corrosion or degradation caused by chemical reactions. Okay, not by like yeah. just water or something. So we also have some cocktail party facts. Okay. Do you remember what clay is made of? Uh, uh,
1: alumina and feldspar. Yeah. And. Um, and various solica- other.
0: Various other. And. Organic matter. Yes. Oh, and we talked about this, but why do certain mugs get hot? The handles in the microwave get hot.
1: Well, that's trapped water. Yes, it is in the stoneware.
0: And what happens to the clay during the firing process?
1: Clay becomes vitrified.
0: Well, first the water goes away, and then if you leave it long enough, it becomes vitrified. So that is our episode on ceramics. Thank you for listening to this episode of Luxi. If you are a ceramic artist or you know somebody who loves ceramics and pottery, make sure to tell them about this episode. Um, the best way to help us get noticed and find new listeners is to spread the word, and to like us and leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. A special thanks as always to my audio engineer, Demos, and our theme music is Harlequin Mood by Birdie. You can follow us all over social media at Pod.